to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 4th of November 2012, entitled, We Faint Not. And the Bible reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1-18. to Here's Pastor John Anderson. I want to share a, a burden with you today. And I think, I think uh, there's a difference sometimes between a sermon and a burden. Uh, you can have, you can preach a sermon without a burden, but uh, what we need is a burden sometimes. And I want to share with you a burden that's on my heart from the Word of God. It's a biblical burden, and I think those are the best kind to have. And uh, so I'd invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 this afternoon. Uh, my life verse, for many years people have asked me, John, what is your favorite verse of Scripture in the Bible? And I always... Uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 7. That has been my, what many would call a life verse uh, that you may have. Many people like uh, a particular verse in the Bible. Does anybody have a favorite verse that comes to mind? Maybe a favorite verse anybody has? Anybody at all? Yes. Philippians 4.13. I think that says I can do all things through Christ. Okay, good. I just I thought you were testing me for a minute. I was just making sure I... Well, I'm glad I remembered that. If you're like Isaiah 7, 1, I'm like, hey, God bless you. I'm praying for you. And uh, wow, but uh, no, it's great, isn't it? Having a verse of scripture that really means a lot to you has gotten you through some difficult times. And 2 Corinthians chapter 4, to be very frank with you, chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5, I believe are three of the most encouraging chapters in all of the Word of God. Times where you may be discouraged. Times where we may be going through a difficult time. Times where things are not going as well as you may want them to go in life. 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5, I believe, are three chapters God puts in his word for us. And today, with God's help, I want to share a general thought that goes all the way through chapters 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5. And I hope it will be an encouragement to you. Chapter 4, verse number 1, the scripture says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Come down, if you would, to verse number 15 for a moment. The Bible says, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish... Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I want to call your attention, verse number one, the last three words we find are these words, we faint not. And then you come to verse number 16, and the Apostle Paul reminds us in verse 16, for which cause we faint not. And I want to preach on that subject today. We faint not. Father, for the next few moments, help me to be an encouragement. Help me to be a blessing to thy people. Uh, Lord, may each one of us draw strength today from the Bible and from the Word of God. May it strengthen us in the inner man. Father, we will give you all the glory, honor, and praise that's due to your name. We thank you for this time again today. We thank you for the anniversary of this church and this pastor. Thank you for the faithfulness of God throughout the years in this place. 
We ask for that you would continue to do a work of grace right here in our midst in the years to come. We thank you for the privilege to be here this afternoon. Would you get great glory to yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name, we pray all of these things. Amen. Well, 2 Corinthians is obviously the second letter that the Apostle Paul pens to this church in Corinth. If you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you're going to find that it was not a positive letter. In fact, it was a very negative letter. Uh, The church of Corinth was a very carnal church, according to chapter 3. This church had many, 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 many problems. Uh, In fact, uh, Paul had to deal with problems. Uh, That's what the book of 1 Corinthians is about. There were believers actually taking one another to court in this church of Corinth. Uh, There was all kinds of immoral relationships going on in this church. People were coming to the Lord's table, actually drunk and intoxicated uh, at the Lord's table. I mean, this church had problem after problem after problem after problem after problem. I've preached in many churches, and believe it or not, I have preached at a church called Corinth Baptist Church. I thought, somebody hasn't read their Bible. I mean, why would you want to call your church Corinth Baptist Church? That's a long story. It was a great church, by the way. But anyway, this church in 1 Corinthians had many problems. God uses the Apostle Paul to pen a letter to rebuke them. Now, as it is, anytime someone is rebuked, there's one of three responses that they gave to Paul. Some accepted it and said, you're right. We need to humble our hearts before God and get right. Some said, we don't care what Paul says. We don't care what anybody says. We're going to do what we want to do. And then there was a third group, and this is the letter that Paul addresses the book of 2 Corinthians to. And this third group said, Paul doesn't have the authority to talk to us like this. Instead of receiving the message, they killed the messenger. They said, who does Paul think he is? And so God, by inspiration of his spirit, gives Paul the words of 2 Corinthians. He vindicates the ministry that God gave him to rebuke and to correct this church in the first place. You come to the book of 2 Corinthians, and to be very honest with you, chapters 1 and chapters 2, here's what I thought. The first time I really got serious about studying 2 Corinthians, I thought, here we go again. This is going to be 1 Corinthians all over again. He's going to rebuke them for their lack of receiving his first rebuke. I thought, oh boy, this is a rough book. The first two chapters, he begins to go through some reasons why he wrote the first letter. But then it's almost as if the Holy Spirit of God, while Paul's penning this book, abruptly stops him in chapter 3, and it turns from a rebuke to one of the most encouraging sections in all the Word of God. Chapters 3, chapters 4, and chapters 5. And Paul begins to describe for them who they are in Jesus and what Jesus has for them. And we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and now Paul begins to exhort this church not to faint, not to quit. Now, the word faint doesn't just mean as we would think faint, like passing out or losing consciousness. That's not what the word faint means here. The word faint here doesn't even mean to just stop. The word faint here literally means this. It means to be discouraged to a place where there's no more effort. To be discouraged to a place where there's no more effort. In other words, I've tried everything I know to try. I get so discouraged that I don't even try anymore. You ever feel like going there? I've been there before a couple times. Where you've tried, you've worked, 
but you've gotten discouraged. Maybe it's in your Christian life. Maybe you've said, this year, I'm going to read through my Bible. And man, we always do good in Genesis because of stories. Exodus is great because of the life of Moses. Then you hit Leviticus. And you start going through offerings. And you're going, what in the world is the meal offering about? What is this? Why does God care the length of the cords of the tabernacle curtains? Really? I mean, you know, you start reading that and you get discouraged. Anybody ever get there before? I've been there. Get discouraged. And you know what? It's, it's easy sometimes to faint. It's easy to get so discouraged that we just stop trying. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 to this group of believers, I know you've struggled. I know I've had to rebuke you. I know I've had to come down hard on you in this last letter. But listen, there are some reasons why you can't quit. There's some reasons why you can't get discouraged to a point where you just stop trying. And Paul gives some good Bible reasons in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as why you and I as believers can't faint. We cannot get to a place where we get so discouraged where we stop trying again. Maybe you've got a family member that's not saved. You've been praying for them. And maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you have a, uh, someone that's away from the Lord and you've been praying for me. You're discouraged and you're like, ready? Just listen, before you quit, before you throw in the towel, hear what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We faint not. Now, I want us to see real quickly in this text, there's four basic reasons in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 why Paul says we shouldn't faint. We shouldn't quit. We shouldn't throw in the towel. I want you to notice, first of all, he said, we faint not because of the truth. Because of the truth. If you come down to verse number two, he says, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. What's the first reason why we cannot get discouraged to a place where we do not give any more effort? Here it is. We have the truth. We have the truth. Now, truth is a great privilege. There's no doubt about it. Truth is a great privilege. It is a privilege that God in heaven has allowed every one of us to know and hear the truth. That's a privilege. Uh, there are places right now in our world, and I know your pastors traveled quite a bit, and many of you probably traveled quite a bit, but you know this, if you go to certain places in our world, having a copy of God's Word, many places don't even have a copy of the Bible. Uh, I, I've had the privilege to preach in some places uh, where literally the first Bible that was open was mine when I opened it. I mean, it's an, a humbling thing to think that I have nine in my study at church. Nine of these books, nine Bibles in my office, and I go to places that don't even have one. We have the truth, don't we, today? We have a, it's a blessing. It's a privilege to have the truth of God and to know what God says. But it's more than just a privilege, it's a responsibility. When God reveals truth to us, we're responsible to live in light of that truth. And God says something so important. He says, we've renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. We're not walking in craftiness, notice this, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. 
Paul says, you've received the word of God. You've received the truth of God. You can't faint. You can't quit. You're living in a city of Corinth. You're a light in this city. You're one of the few lights where people are going to see that Jesus is real, that the Christian life is not just some uh, thing that we talk about, but it's a real relationship with Jesus. And he said, if you quit, you're literally saying this is not truth. You're literally saying this is not real. This is just another religion. This is just another thing coming down the pike in the busy city of Corinth, in this port city. This is just another religious thing. Do you know, God has given us a great privilege, but he's given us a great responsibility because we have the truth today. We have the truth of God. And we shouldn't handle it in such a casual manner. We shouldn't handle it in such a deceitful manner. But here's how we handle the Word of God. By manifesting the truth of God. Manifesting. That means fleshing it out. Living it out every day. One of my friends in, uh, in seminary, he used to say this. He used to say, Anderson. He'd always call me by my surname. I love that. He'd always just say, Anderson. I just like, well, my first name is a lot easier, John. But he's just, no, Anderson. You know, He'd come walking by, he'd say, Anderson. And he'd say something just to the point and walk off. He was one of those kind of guys. He was, he was 30. I was 19, and we were in seminary. He got saved later in life. I got saved younger in life. And when we both came together, I still had a little bit of laughing and joking about me. He was all business, my friend. He came to seminary. He was like, if you're smiling, you're not right with God. I was like, okay, I will not smile around you, you know. And uh, I remember this guy he came up to me, one, and he'd always come up. He'd snap his finger, Anderson. He'd point like that. And uh, he came up to me this one time. He said, Anderson, points at me. I said, yeah, man, what's, what's happening? And he goes, the Bible is true. I said, thank you. I'm just in seminary studying a book I didn't think was true. That's great. He goes, the Bible is true. And I said, yes, it is. And I said, is that all? <laughs> and he goes, no. He said, the Bible's true. But the only way the world will know it is if you live it. Kind of stepped back for a second. And then he walked away and he turned around and he said, flesh it out every day. Flesh it out every day. In other words, it's no good if we just hold it and we say, yeah, the Bible's true. If we don't flesh it out, we don't live it out. We don't manifest the truth of it. And, and Paul says, listen, we can't faint, we can't quit, because honestly, we're the only manifestation of truth that some people around us will ever see. And if we stop, if we quit, if we get discouraged in our spirit to a place where we don't want to put out that effort anymore, somebody's not going to know the truth around us. Paul says, listen, we, we, can't, we can't faint. We can't quit. We have the truth. I, I want you to notice the second thing. He says, we can't faint because we have a great task. We have a great task. Notice what he says in chapter 4 in verse number 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
I want you to notice what he says. He says, first of all, we can't faint because we have the truth. But secondly, we can't faint because we have a task. We have a job to do. And here's our job, verse number six, to shine the light, to shine the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What is our great task as believers? And it's very simple. You'll find it all through the New Testament. We are to shine the light of Jesus. We're to shine the light wherever we go. Now, it's interesting, man. I'm going to kind of walk you through a few things in Scripture. But remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, Jesus' great revolutionary teaching. He was a great revolutionary. There's no doubt about it. He comes along and he teaches these revolutionary truths and teachings to his disciples. But remember what he said. He said, ye are the salt of the earth. And then he said, ye are the light of the world. Ye are the salt of the earth, ye are the light of the world. It's interesting to me, by the way, that salt came before light, because salt is something, light does something. And it's interesting, before you can do something for God, you must first be something for God. Ye are the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. But it's interesting, he didn't say, you're just shining the light. He said, you are the light. You are the light of the world. And he talked about how we can dampen our light by putting a bushel or a basket over that light. So the context here of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in light of Christ's teaching is simply this. Paul is simply saying, shine out who you are in Christ. Just shine out who you are in Christ. You don't have to put on a show. You don't have to put on a spectacle. But just live the Christ life and you're going to be putting out the light. That is our task. Our task is to shine the light. Now, it's interesting. How do we shine the light? And Paul uses great language in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness in chapter 4, verse number 6. Now, I want us to see when did God command the light to shine out of darkness. All right, let's go all the way back. And I've got to go back to the first book of the Bible, the first page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to hold our place in 2 Corinthians, but if you join me in Genesis chapter 1, we'll kind of have a little bit of a Bible study slash message this afternoon. But Genesis chapter 1, we're going to see in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's still a powerful verse. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now I want you to notice verse 2, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. This is when God spake this world out of darkness and into light. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Paul's referring to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 6. God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light. Now, we know when God created this world, there was nothing here but nothing. (laughs) There was nothingness. It was just complete nothingness here. And God had to bring whatever there was going to bring, God had to bring it. There was no cell that bumped into another cell. No, God spoke this world out of nothing. And out of nothing, God spoke it here. Now we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, God spoke and commanded this light to shine. 
In Genesis 1, the light shone into the darkness and light penetrates the darkness and the darkness is extinguished by the light. Now I want us to see there's two distinctive key elements that are involved in our task of shining the light. There are two things that happened that brought this world out of darkness and into the light. And these are the two things that you and I must be involved in when we share Christ. Two things. First of all, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse number 2, and the Spirit of God moved. Do you know how people without Jesus Christ are going to come to Christ? The Spirit of God has to move. God's Holy Spirit must convince them that they are sinful and separated from God. It is a spiritual work. The darkness will not be expelled by the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ apart from the Spirit of God moving. That doesn't happen with praying a prayer. That doesn't happen with uh, just any kind of a casual adherence. No, the Spirit of God must draw them. And I want you to notice how else he works. It's the Spirit of God. In verse number 3, and God said. That's the Word of God. The Spirit of God and the Word of God brought this world from darkness and into light. And my friend, the Spirit of God and the Word of God will bring a sinner from the darkness of sin into the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only things that will happen. The Spirit of God must move and the Word of God must be given. Is that consistent throughout the Bible? I'll tell you it is. Uh, we won't turn there, but Acts chapter number 7, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Philip's preaching a great meeting. People are being saved. God's moving mightily. And then God says to him, go to the desert. I'm going to leave this great meeting and I'm going to a desert? Yeah, you're going to meet one man. Isn't it wonderful that God cares about individuals as well as groups? <laughs> I'm glad that God loved the world according to John 3.16. I'm glad he loved the church according to Ephesians 4. But I'm glad he loves me according to Galatians 2.20. God loves people. He sends Philip out into the middle of the desert. And this Ethiopian eunuch is coming by. And the next statement the Bible says, And the Spirit said, Separate thyself to him. Who is that? That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God leads Philip. Philip goes up, and guess what this man has on his lap and what he's reading? Isaiah chapter 53. Guess what? The Spirit of God and the Word of God. And what happens when the Spirit of God works in hand in hand with the Word of God? The light will shine into the darkness. The darkness will be extinguished, and the light will overcome that darkness every single time. It is our task. Our task is to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Be Spirit-led and Scripture-saturated and shine the light of Jesus everywhere we go. I was so thankful this, uh, a few years back, I was on an airplane and I was uh, flying somewhere. I don't even remember where I was flying. I just remember I didn't want to be there. <laughs> and uh, I was on this airplane and I was going along and, and I sat down and I've got to be real honest with you, it was one of those days where you just hope the person that sits next to you doesn't have anything to say. You ever have one of those days? I have those days sometimes. And uh, it's not a good thing to have when you're in the business that I'm in either. <laughs> and uh, I remember sitting there and I thought, man, my seat is empty. This is great. It was about a four-hour flight. I knew right where I was going. It was a four-hour flight. And I sat down and, uh, man, nobody was next to me. I thought, man, thank you, Lord. You know I need rest. That's good. 
I have my bag there, I have my Bible there, and I'm just going to close my eyes and just go to sleep for a few hours. Nobody's going to bother me. We take off, we get off the tarmac, and I'm in the emergency row. I always try to book early so I can get the emergency row and stretch out, you know. Short guys like me don't do too well in airplanes. So, you know, I'm stretched out there, and I'm sitting along, and all of a sudden, about 20 minutes into the flight, as soon as the little ding comes on and everybody can move about the cabin, you know, the stewardess comes over. I'm in a deep slumber, enjoying myself. The stewardess comes over and taps me on the shoulder. Mr. Henderson, Mr. Henderson. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, we have a gentleman that's sitting there in the back, and he's six foot six. Um, we're going to move him up to sit next to you if that's okay. I said, oh, it's fine. No problem. I put my bag up above. I sat down, and the whole time I'm thinking, oh, man, here we go. This six foot six guy sits down next to me, and I thought, well, you know, he's not going to say much. No, 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 no. He talked the whole time, the entire time. And I'm going one of these numbers, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, oh yeah, that's good, yeah, uh uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm, you know, I'm pretty stubborn. It takes me a few minutes to realize maybe God wants me to talk to him. Maybe, I don't, I don't know, just maybe. And I'm sitting there, and, I, and I'm trying to get him to quiet down, and he'd stop for a minute. So he finally goes up, goes to the laboratory for a moment. And I had my Bible in my bag, so I picked it out. I was going to preach in just a couple hours. So I started reading my text, started raking a few notes about what I was going to say that night. And the guy comes back, and he goes, is that a Bible? I said, yeah, yeah, it's a Bible. He goes, can I see that? I said, sure. I hand him the Bible, let him look through it for a second. He said, have you ever seen a Bible? He goes, no, it's the first time I've ever seen one. I said, Wow. I said, man, that's, that's great. I've got an extra one. You want one? He goes, yeah. So I gave him my Bible. I said, you can have this one. Had my name on it and everything on the front. I said, sure, you can have it. I've got nine in the study. It's okay, you know. And I hand him the Bible. He goes, man, that was really nice to me. And, he, and, and we started talking. He goes, are you a really religious person? I said, not at all. I hate religion. Oh, he got real quiet. He goes, why do you have a Bible? I said, because that Bible is not about religion at all. There's no religion taught in that Bible anywhere except pure religion. That's it. I said, so there's, it's not a religious book. And he goes, what's that book all about? So, I mean, that's a good answer to try to give somebody in 20 seconds. So what's that book all about? So I did. I said, it's about one thing and one thing only. He goes, what is that? I said, it's really not about a thing. It's about a person. Jesus Christ. That's what the whole book's about. It all centers around him. We start talking. We start asking questions. Long story short, the guy says to me, he goes, why are you reading this book about Jesus? I said, well, I'm, try- I'm going to actually be preaching about Jesus tonight at a place. And he goes, wow, you're a preacher. I said, yeah, I am. I said, I didn't know if you want to talk to me if you know I was a preacher or not. And we start having a word, long conversation. You know, it was interesting as I saw that and that conversation unfolded after about an hour, hour and a half. I was able to share the gospel with this gentleman and see him put his faith in Jesus Christ as his Savior. It was an amazing story. Uh, you know, a- a- after that all takes place, you know, we start to say, well, what, God, why, why am I here? What's going on? I- I, man, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Listen, God has a reason. God puts you and I in places for a purpose and for a reason. You may be tired. You may think, man, I, man, this isn't working for me. Listen, we can't faint. 
We can't get discouraged to a place where we don't put out any more effort. You know why? God has a task for you and I. There are people that you'll reach that I'll never be able to reach. There are people that I can reach that maybe you won't reach. And here's the point. God has put you and I in our sphere and circle of influence. And we must influence that sphere for Jesus and for the gospel's sake. It's our task. We can't faint. We can't quit. This last week, I saw that gentleman that led to Christ. It's always good when you actually see him in church one day. That's always a blessing. This is going back five years. I saw the gentleman uh, this last week in a conference and in a meeting. And this man still, to this day, said, man, I'm sure glad I sat next to you on that airplane. And I'm thinking, man, I'm glad you sat next to me. But if it had been up to me, he wouldn't have sat there. It's really good that there's a God in heaven, isn't it? It's good that God puts us where he places us and gives us a task. We can't faint. We can't quit. We have the truth today. We have a task to fulfill. Real quickly, we can't faint because we have treasure. We have treasure. Chapter 4, verse number 7, my life verse. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Paul says in this passage of Scripture, one of the great truths of the Bible, he gives us an imagery of of an earthen vessel, almost a clay pot. If you see a clay pot that's been made, you and I don't say, wow, that's some serious clay pot. That's got to be worth quite a few quid. No, you don't say that. You see a clay pot, you know what it is? It's just dirt that's been wet and then molded and then baked hard in the sun. That's it. Um, Paul says this. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. You and I are just earthen vessels. That's all we are. Can I be honest with you? There's not a whole lot valuable about John Anderson. I'm just an earthen vessel. God made me out of dirt. (laughs) You too. We're all in the same group together. Just let us know. I mean, there's not a whole lot valuable about me. But man, it's not me. It's what's inside me. More importantly, it's who is inside me. Jesus. And you know, you can have an earthen vessel that's pretty worthless, but you put diamonds inside of it, all of a sudden that vessel becomes worth a whole lot. Not because of what it's made of, but because of what's inside of it. And God says to us that we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. And what's valuable about us is not the vessel. We don't say if there's diamonds inside of a vessel, wow, what a vessel. We say, wow, what treasure inside the vessel. You know, when God sees us, it's not us that's so valuable, it's his son in us. It's not our work, it's not our efforts, it's not our plans that's so wonderful and so magnificent. It's just Jesus in us. That's what's good about any of us. We can't faint. Why? He's in us. Now, I want you to notice his ministry inside of us. This is so wonderful. The great blessing of knowing Christ is that Christ is in us and that we are in Christ. Now I want you to notice what happens. Paul said, listen, in verse number 8, we're troubled on every side. You know what that is? That's the vessel talking. The vessel says, man, everywhere I look, there's trouble. Ever feel like that? Yeah. I mean, I'm going home to London, and i got to deal with some trouble tomorrow. Oh, no. We're troubled on every side. 
That's the, tr- that's the vessel speaking. But notice what the treasure says. Yet not distressed. <laughs> the vessel says, there's trouble everywhere. But Christ in me says, it's going to be okay. Not distressed. The, tr- the vessel says this, we are perplexed. In other words, we don't know what to do. But the treasure says, not in despair. It's going to be fine. The vessel says, we're persecuted. The treasure says, but you're not forsaken. Because I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. The treasure says, we're cast down. But the treasure says, but not destroyed. How is it that Paul could maintain this entire perspective in the midst of trouble? You talk about trouble, thrice beaten with rods, shipwrecked. I mean, you talk about trouble. Look at the Apostle Paul's CV of ministry. He had quite a big one. I mean, brokenhearted over the churches, the ministry, shipwrecked, prisoned. I mean, beaten with rods. I mean, all the things that he endured for the sake of the gospel. You know what? I'm sure that the vessel wanted to say, that's enough. But when the treasure's inside of you, you can't quit. The treasure's inside of you. You've got to say, no, 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 listen. I've got great things that God's got in my life. God's done too much for me for me to just be cast down and to faint and to stop trying and to stop expending effort. No, I cannot get discouraged to that place. Why? There's treasure in me. God has put too much in me for me to just quit. There's treasure. Treasure in earthen vessels. He says in verse number 10, always bearing about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be manifest in our body. Always bearing about, never quitting. We faint not because of the treasure. May I real quickly give you the last thought today? We faint not because of the truth and because of the task and because of the treasure. But I want us to see we faint not because this whole thing is just temporary. It's just temporary. This life isn't all there is to it. I want us to see what Paul's perspective was. It was an eternal perspective. Paul says in verse number 15, for all things are for your sakes. Now, I believe in the inerrant word of God. I believe that the Bible contains no errors in it. Zero. Zero. Uh, some modernists popped into our services five or six weeks back and started trying to say that the Bible it has errors in it. And every one of the errors in it, we just took the Bible and explained them. And he's going, well, there's more. I said, we'll go ahead and lay them out when you're ready to talk again. Their Bible does not have any error in it. The Bible is the inerrant word of God. Now, Paul says something interesting. All things are for your sakes. Does all mean all? (laughs) It does. When the Bible says that Christ died for all, we mean all. And when he says all things are for your sakes, we mean everything that happens in our lives is for our sake. All things. Okay, so wait a minute. I'm going through trouble tonight, John. Well, if the Bible's true, all things are for your sakes. I'm having some difficulty in my life. If the Bible's true, all things are for your sakes. I'm going through some perplexing, frustrating times in my life. All things are for your 
sakes. Now, I teach our guys, we're training a couple guys for ministry, and I teach them something called the law of first mention. When something's mentioned in the Bible, always go back to the first time it's mentioned in the Bible and study that out. Like if you want to study the subject of marriage, go to the first marriage in the Bible and study that out. There's a law of first mention. So this word sakes had me very interested yesterday. This word sakes had me very interested. So I thought, when was the first time God used the word sakes in your Bible? And I thought about it, and I went back to the book of Genesis. And I'm just going to give it to you, but in Genesis chapter number 3, sin enters into the world. Adam and Eve sin against God. And when they sin against God, God pronounces curses. He pronounces curses for the woman, then he pronounces curses for the man, doesn't he? And part of the curse of the man is he cursed the ground. We have to go to work now. <laughs> we have to labor by the sweat of our brow. There's going to be thorns. But the Bible says this. God said this very explicitly. I encourage you to check this out in Genesis 3. God said this. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. Now, if I would have been God, I would have said, Cursed is the ground for thy sin. God said, cursed is the ground for thy sake. It's going to work for you. How is this going to work for you? And then the next statement, he says, thorns and thistles. Thorns and thistles are going to grow up in the ground. At that point, they didn't have to till the ground. The ground would just bring forth fruit. Now they're going to have to work by the sweat of their brow. And they're going to have to deal with thorns and thistles. How is this going to help me, God? How is this for me? You'll remember that just three, probably three and a half, four thousand years later, Jesus Christ comes and he dies on the cross. And the Bible says that he's plated with a crown of thorns. Those thorns were for their sake. See, the worst thing that they could have thought was happening in their life was really the best thing that was God was going to use for their, his glory. The worst trial, the worst trouble, the most difficulty was going to produce the greatest blessing for them later down the road. And God said, I didn't do this for your sin. I've given you thorns for your sake. The thorns were a gift. The gift of the thorns. God gave Paul a thorn in the side and it was a gift from God to protect him from pride. Every time God allows trouble into our lives and difficult circumstances into our lives, don't blame God. Don't get bitter at God. Don't say, I'm going to quit on God. No, realize that it is for you, not happening to you. God uses trouble for your sake and for my sake. The suffering's temporary. It's just temporary. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 17, for our light affliction. Man, I read that and I get a conviction right off the bat when I think about Paul. His perspective this is just light affliction. No big deal. You know, I mean, I stub my toe and I don't want to go to church on Sunday, you know? He's shipwrecked, laying in the deep for three days and three nights. He's been beaten with rods thrice. He's been mocked. He's been ridiculed. He's been scorned. He's been hurt. He's been bruised for the gospel. And he's like, no, it's just a light affliction. Okay. <laughs> for our light affliction... Notice this, which is but for a moment, worketh for us. Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 
while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Why can't we quit? Why can't we faint? Why can't we get discouraged to a point where we don't want to expend any more effort? Here's why. This thing is just temporary. Everything you see, all the trials, all the difficulties, it's just temporary. It's not going to last forever. What's going to last forever is what you do for Christ. What you're going to do, what's going to last forever is what emphasis you place on the eternal value and things that will last forever. And God says, listen, we can't get to a place where we faint and quit because these things that are causing us to want to faint and quit are just going to pass away one day. But the things that we're investing our lives in for the eternal weight of glory is going to matter one day for all of eternity. This is all just passing by. It's just temporary. It's so easy for me to get so caught up in today. It really is. I think about today and I think about the trials Think about the troubles, I think about the difficulties, think about all the things that are happening. I think, man, I've got this to do, I've got that to do, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. And you know what? Those things, if I'm not careful, can get me so discouraged and it can keep me focused on today and things that I see rather than things I can't see, which are going to last forever. You know what God calls us to do? He calls us to live a life of faith. A life of faith. Tell a guy a while back. I said, listen, man, this whole thing, if you can see it, it's not going to matter one day. True. If you can see it, it's not going to matter one day. I'm for taking care of yourself physically, but these bodies, they're going to go. They're going to go. They really are. It's funny because some people, all they live for is this. Some people, all they live for is this. Some people, all they live for is the house they're in and the retirement and, the, and all these things. And I'm not saying things are wrong. It's not wrong to have things, but it's wrong for things to have us. And, and listen, if we're putting our focus and our weight and our energy on these things, do you know I found when I'm focused on temporal things, that's when I'm most discouraged. Really is. I keep myself ready to quit. You know what I tell everybody? I say, I resign every Monday morning. I do. When I'm focused on, on, on temporal things, I resign every Monday morning. Man, the offering was down today. <sighs> How are we going to pay the bills next week? Ah! Temporal. Doesn't matter. Right? But when you're focused on God, His glory, souls being saved, things are going to matter for eternity, all of a sudden you stay a lot more encouraged. Why can't we quit? It's all just temporary. It's all temporary. It's all passing. Focus on eternal things. It will produce a great weight of glory. We faint not. Father, I pray that you'll take the truths from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And Lord Jesus, how I pray that you'll encourage us in the word of God and in the work of God. I pray if there's a saint here that's been discouraged in the work, Father, by your grace that you would build them up through your word. They would find strength found only in Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would have your perfect will and your perfect way in our lives. Help us to live a focused life. 
and that life focused completely on thee. For your glory, for your honor alone. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.